you are a Boston Bruins hockey fan. Some days, that's about the only thing that can drag you out of bed. Some shows about the Bruins are done from journalists. Others are done just from fans. Well, we're both. This is Unsupervised. You'll get expert analysis and opinions about Boston Bruins hockey, how they're playing, trade deadline and free agency, major event coverage. If it's Boston Bruins hockey, we're in the know and we're talking about it. This is Unsupervised. Now your host, Jake Reiser. Welcome back here on Unsupervised. I hope you guys enjoyed the first week on our return. We are back here on week number two. We got a great guest here for you this week. Another Terrier. I always feel a kindred spirit when I speak to another BU guy. He's the Bruins correspondent for NHL.com. He's a high school sports writer for the Boston Globe. He's the co-director of WTBU Sports, and he's a reporter for College Hockey News. Man, that is a lot of things going on. This is Joe Poharelis. Joe, welcome on in. Thank you. Thanks. Appreciate it. Absolutely. We can jump right back into this because the Bruins jumped right back into it yesterday with a little mid-afternoon matinee against the Washington Capitals. 2-1 loss, not the result you're looking for. Uh, Kind of a slow start. They had to shake off that rust. Then they really showed up. They dominated in the second period, outshot Washington 11-4, and tried to push against just a really hot Darcy Kemper, but in the end couldn't come up with a win, and that's not exactly the best thing considering their schedule from before the deadline and what they've got going forward. Yeah, I mean, it was their fourth loss in their last five games, and they they love to preach they don't like to lose two games in a row. So, you know, kind of the first rut they've hit all season, which considering it's the middle of February, I mean, just kind of goes to show how dominant they've been this year. Um, But you kind of said it with the hot goaltender. I mean, they were creating chances. You know, the rust sort of showed maybe the lack of energy as they're trying to build back up. Um, And also Washington just being the more urgent team in the standings, given that they're fighting for a wild card spot pretty much game in game out for the rest of the way um and yeah the Bruins kind of have the luxury to you know slip a few games but obviously they don't want to you know let this roll into something much worse than than it could be I don't know if they really want to go looking for drama considering how record-breaking the season had been up until about five games ago, but maybe this is the drama and the adversity that you're looking for, and it puts Don Sweeney into a position where you say, okay, yeah, the chemistry has been really good with this team, but maybe I do need to shake things up, or maybe it's on Montgomery to shake things up because the power play has been a little bit anemic. The offense in general has been a little bit anemic. They're not losing big, aside from Carolina, where they lost 4-1. It's only been one-goal losses the one time in overtime as well in Florida. So it's not like they're not playing good hockey. You just wonder what kind of a shakeup they need. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the power play. I think they've they're zero for eighteen. Like they haven't scored in nineteen power plays or some something like that. So they they've been trying to shake things up, the lineup, the bottom of the lineup. But at the end of the day, there's not really much in house that you can really flip around. I mean, there there are guys that have played on the third line that can go up to the second line, but you know, you're not touching Bergeron, Bergeron and Marchand, for example. You're you want to keep the check line together for the most part. So uh, yeah, if anything, they're going to have to find you know, outside help if they really want it. But I think it kind of comes to a point for every team where they can't sustain this level of dominance the entire 82-game season. So, you know, you, you figured this was going to come around eventually, but um, 
it seems like if they have the facilities to turn it around and get back on track, they do just based on the confidence and the experience that they've got in that locker room. I think it also shows how much they actually miss Jake DeBrusque. You, you say, I'd say this 12 months ago and everybody would laugh in your face, but the resurgence of Jake DeBrusque under Jim Montgomery and losing him to that injury right after the winter classic, he was pivotal on that um, right wing slot on the first line with Bergeron and Marchand. He was pivotal as a net front presence and that kind of Gretzky's office blow the goal line on that power play. It, he's become so important to this Bruins offense and you're looking for him to return ostensibly next week, either in Nashville or in Dallas, but he's such an important part of this offense and he might be one of the reasons that it's been sliding yeah I mean uh, I mean you look at Craig Smith on the on the top line now sort of taking DeBrus spot usually he's sort of cycling in and out of the lineup or on the fourth line and he, he's been creating a decent amount of chances I don't have really any stats off the top of my head but you can kind of see in the game that you know he's getting shots playing with you know Marshan and Bergeron like naturally he'll get set up uh, they just haven't been going through so I think uh, um Maybe he'll turn it up in the next couple of days, maybe get a little bit more lucky on some of his shots. But um, what you, I mean, as you said, once DeBrus comes back, that really completes, you know, the top six and allows like the depth to shine, you know, in the lower parts of the lineup where where they belong. Yeah, I think the Bruins have been lucky in the sense, even though they haven't been winning games, it still showcases the amount of depth that they have with guys like Nick Foligno, Trent Frederick, AJ Greer, these guys getting on the scoreboard and not having to rely on your top line. Not the One of the themes of the last couple of years, especially the last two under Bruce Cassidy, is that they were very top-heavy with Bergeron, Marshawn, Pasternak. And not only did uh, Montgomery split them up, but I think Sweeney brought in the reinforcements, or Montgomery also awakened a lot of these guys who needed to get that good type of a shakeup. And that's been one of those shining moments despite the losses. Yeah, I mean, they've been preaching their depth uh, since the beginning of the season. And obviously, once you go down lower on the prospect depth chart or look into deeper maybe not the best in the NHL and just not, not a lot of things in the cupboard. But when you look at the NHL talent and top of the AHL, because they've been trying to cycle in guys in, in call-ups of uh, Vinny Lettieri is one of them, but he, he got hurt before he could even uh, appear in a game. So that's unfortunate for him, but uh, it seems like they're trying to cycle through guys while DeBrusque is out and see what they have, you know, at the top of the AHL, which I'm sure is going to factor into the trade deadline as well and just see what depth they have once they get to the playoffs and, and have the expanded roster and some extra extra players. Absolutely. It looks looking like Jacob Lauko is going to be one of those guys who would end up making that spot. He's been on the fourth line the last couple of games, and he just brings such a fire and such an energy with his skating. Not unlike AJ Greer, but I think he's even quicker on his edges. He's faster. He's got a good shot. I like Lauko on that fourth line a lot. We saw Mark McLaughlin in Florida. McLaughlin really stood out last year. Still needs to awaken himself a little bit this year, but I think he's really good depth. Chris Wagner was up for a little bit. Jonah Koppinen was playing on the fourth line for a little bit. So you're right, the AHL is going to be just as important for this depth going forward as is whatever trade deadline acquisitions are made and whenever Jake DeBrusque comes back next week, how the lineup then gets reshifted. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty much the pretty much what they have to look for. I mean, I, I think they said Nashville is when they're targeting him to come back. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess the with the break in the middle kind of, you know, interrupted what they were looking for, maybe in practices or something or otherwise. But uh, there are definitely, you know, guys that they can call up for 
select games if they need to uh, down the stretch. Well, we can play that in two different ways. We can talk about the schedule going up to the deadline. It's a doozy. They've got Dallas and Nashville away, then the Islanders and Senators at home, and then it's their Western Canada and Seattle road trip. So um, Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, Seattle, and then Buffalo at home right before the deadline. So it's a mishmash of teams who are in a whole mishmash of positions. And then you get the schedule through the rest of the season. There's six more back-to-backs for the Brewers wins they've got guys who are obviously not on the right side of 30 or 35 here load management is also going to come into big play you obviously you don't want to rest Bergeron Krejci Marshawn Lindholm McAvoy for entire games but you're going to watch their ice time. You're going to want to make sure you have the depth that can cover. You know, you don't want Lindholm skating 27 minutes a night. You want to back him up and have him skate 22, 20 minutes a night. And you need to make sure that that depth can stand up to that. Yeah, I mean, the the players have said themselves they're not really – they want to be on the ice. They want to play. So I'm not expe- – I wouldn't expect any – any guys just taking days off, you know, for the heck of it for, you know, like you'll see in the NBA sometimes. So they, they want to be out there. They want to play, they want to stay in rhythm, you know, keep that momentum. But um, yeah, it will be interesting to see how they sort of tinker with the ice time. Cause uh, you know, Montgomery likes to play his guys in the spots and sometimes maybe they want to push through and keep the rhythm up and have their routine going with the set amount of minutes. Um, just so when it comes to the playoff time, you know, they're still ready to play that load. I'm not really sure how they're going to go about it, but obviously they do want to be cautious with uh, with their players as they, as they head into the end of the regular season. One of those guys who they're going to have to keep an eye on who seems to defy father time, not like Tom Brady, but who just continues to get better with age. He ages like a fine wine is Patrice Bergeron, the captain showing back up for another year. Yesterday against Washington, he was a 65% face-off winner total, 55% in the offensive zone. He's playing like he's gunning for a sixth Selkie trophy. It's just incredible to see what he's done this year. Yeah, I mean, and the just the admiration that everybody around the team and really everybody in the building you just walk around this is my first season covering the team and obviously you know being in Boston the past few years like you can tell right away how respected he is but being in the building for the first time uh, it's just unlike any other athlete that you know I've ever come across in the short time that I've been doing stuff in sports media. You know, seeing him do so well, I want to echo some sentiments I believe David Krejci and Nick Felino has also made. This team just feels like a special team, and whether they get a big shakeup or a little shakeup at the deadline, it's going to be really interesting to see how they follow through this home stretch. Yeah, I think the no matter who they end up adding, assuming they you know they add a piece or two, I think uh, the culture just lends itself to bringing guys in next man up. I mean, Felino, he doesn't wear a letter, but he has captain experience. He's been a big voice in the locker room. Um, This year, Krejci obviously has been there for a long time and uh, has a lot of respect. So there's just a lot of respect everywhere. And you can tell the leadership gives that back to the other players. So um, in terms of a chemistry thing, I think uh, all these guys are kind of used to playing with with each other, playing, playing on the same lines or shifting up a little bit. Um, so any, any new additions that come in, I think, you know, it's kind of just going to be right in the lockstep, not even skipping a beat, uh, just the way that the, the room is and the culture, uh, presents itself. 
It's one of those things. I go back to Zdeno Chara becoming captain in 2006, I believe. He really wanted to bring in a new culture to the Boston Bruins, and he established it. He established not only a winning culture, but a culture that fosters participation, that fosters teamwork. There's no rookie hazing. When you're in that locker room, you're a true part of that team, regardless if it's your first game on the ice or your thousandth game on the ice. And I think it's one of those things. You're lucky to have a captain in Chara, formerly, and Bergeron now that has continued continued that culture that just fosters team togetherness yeah i mean they still bring up chara every once in a while anytime they're asked about you know just the culture and the leadership they'll anyone who's been around that long or even guys that have come into the team they just hear about it and it's become sort of renowned across the league so if nothing else that's definitely you know an advantage just the cohesiveness that that they have in that room for anybody that might come in at the deadline. You know, you talked about Nick Felino not wearing an A, but still having some leadership qualities in that locker room. One of my favorite videos from January was behind the B, the second period intermission uh, during the Winter Classic, getting up in the Fenway locker room, telling these guys how special a moment this is, that they haven't been playing a great game, that they've got one more period to go out and show these fans how special this experience is and what this, a win could them or what a win for them would mean, not just for the team, but for for that fan base, all 38,000 sitting at Fenway Park. Just so inspiring for a guy like that who's had captain experience, who's definitely on the tail end of his career, who's not afraid in a locker room that already has a well-established captain in Patrice to get up and speak like that. Yeah, I mean, and they, you know, it's, it's yeah, just sort of speaks to the respect that people have for him and just how easy it was for him. He didn't have such a great year. His scoring was a bit down, and now he's sort of, you know, resign maybe not resign not the right word because he's still you know contributing on a night-to-night basis but uh is you know sort of locked into that bottom six role uh which maybe he wasn't used to before but as he's you know getting older and just on a team this deep um that's where he has a lot of guys maybe would sort of sign out or if they're going in and you know into an established leadership group will sort of like shy away but uh you can tell again i'm not you know in the room with them like during periods or during games or anything like that but uh, just the interactions as they're, you know, around the facility or on the ice and things like that. You can tell that, you know, he garnered the respect right away and that he's looked up to a lot. So it's uh, pretty special when you got extra guys beyond, you know, the established leadership core who uh, can sort of add that extra element of confidence and, and motivation. Um, actually, I think my mic was actually muted for most of that, <laughs> but you know, there are some areas of need that, uh, the Bruins still have, even with Nick Foligno, Monty said at the beginning of the season, according to the ESPN broadcast that he could get 10 goals if he's healthy. He's got eight now, but they should still be looking for more. We're going to take about a 30 second break. And when we come back, we'll see what else is out there. The trade deadline's coming up in less than a month. We'll talk about what strategies Don Sweeney might have in mind. We'll be right back after this. Are you looking for a community of Boston Bruins fans to call your own? What about game coverage and articles that bring you the best of the best? That's what Stanley Cup of Chowder is all about. Join us at StanleyCupOfChowder.com for all that and more. 
You're listening to Unsupervised. Find us on Twitter at Cup of Chowder and find more at StanleyCupOfChowder.com. Now, back to your host, Jake. Welcome back in here to Unsupervised. I'm Jake Reiser alongside Joe Poharellis. And the trade deadline is coming up in less than a month. And yeah, the Bruins have had great success for just about the entire season so far. And it's got to be a head scratcher for Don Sweeney, who's got a good reputation the last few years at the trade deadline about what to do to enhance this squad, this special squad that could have a chance at a Stanley Cup. Um, the fourth period has been reporting that Jacob Chikrin has been tied to Boston. Chikrin was a healthy scratch for trade reasons last night, according to the Coyotes. Props to them for transparency for saying he was scratched for trade reasons and not leaving us in the dark. But the Bruins also have a weird cap situation. They're pretty tight up against it. They've got extra contracts in Mike Riley. That's about $3 million that they would need to shed. Craig Smith, another one of those guys who's maybe not performing the way that they should, who could be on the block to clear some cap space. But there are a lot of directions that Don Sweeney could go in. What do you think, Joe? Does he make a big splash? I, I think the attempt will be there. And if Chikrin is indeed heading to Boston, I mean, that's kind of as big a splash as you could hope for just given the situation. And, but other than that, I mean, aside from the cap situation, as I might've mentioned before, just the, the lack of prospects, you know, the prospect pool is kind of thin. They've got their first round picks so they can, you know, tie that in. Um, It's just, if they're looking for a big, you know, player, that's got a huge cap hit or, you know, they're going to need the, team that's sending him over to retain salary and also find a way to outbid other teams that might be interested. And I'm not sure, you know, how they'll be able to do that depending on, on who it is. It's definitely tough with the depleted farm system. Your two best guys are Fabian Lysel and Mason Loray. One of the biggest organizational needs is center, though. You don't have any as a prospect in the prospect pipeline right now that are projected to be big, Top six center as John Beecher is in the system, but he's not exactly projected to be the heir apparent to Patrice Bergeron or David Krejci. One of the rumors I had heard floating around as well is that Dylan Larkin, if he can't come to an agreement with the Detroit Red Wings, that could be another big splash. And that's a guy who's a top six center, a heir apparent to the Bergeron Krejci dynasty. Yeah. I mean, that would be a huge get, but I think, uh, it, it, like I said, it really depends on what you're giving up to get him. And I mean, I guess if they brought him in, the assumption is they'd agree to a deal and that would sort of definitely solve the situation, assuming that Bergeron and Krejci may not be back next year. But looking at this year, if this is the year you're going all in, obviously you want to incorporate all those guys. But it seems like in addition to, you know, shedding cap like with Riley or, or Craig Smith, you might have to send out someone that's played a pretty big role on this team and it really depends if you want to stake that up. So if they can find a way to make a big addition without losing, you know, any of the big contributors or maybe the secondary contributors on this team, I think that's going to be the key to make, you know, to determine whether a deal's worth it. Cause they're all in this year just because of the uncertainty going into next year. And I think after that they can, you know, figure out which free agents on the market uh, might be able to fill the holes at center uh, going forward. 
You know, I don't think the Bruins should be looking at a guy like Timo Meyer. Yeah, he's a great scorer, but you're so inundated at left wing with Marshawn, with Hall, with Frederick, who's actually been showing up really well this year. I don't think that's somewhere you need to go. I actually have a couple of names of guys who are low cap hit, could probably be low cost, and potentially be high reward guys, both on the back end and the front end. On the front end, I look at a guy like Nick Bukestatter, former Buterry Jordan Greenway out of Minnesota, guys who are on under million dollar cap hits who wouldn't take a lot to acquire. Bukestad, I think, actually just scored his 12th goal of the season a couple of nights ago. He's a guy who could take over at fourth line center from a guy like Tomas Nosek, who, yes, I love Nosek as much as he's injured. He's been great. On the defensive side of the game, his offensive side of the game has not been there. And a guy like Buke's dad could definitely replace that and bring a big body. I look at Luke Shen on the back end. I think he's got an $850,000 cap hit from the Canucks. Would really shore up that right side defense. Maybe that's the way Don has to go. Those kind of low return but really high reward type of deals. Yeah, I'm and... I guess it really depends on what's out there. I mean, the two guys you mentioned are sort of the some of the low cost guys. So, uh, which I don't know, if fans may be happy with that, depending on you know what they get back. I think they always want to get the big splash or really you know create a you know super team, the one last piece. But it really you know it takes two to tango in this situation, and sometimes the return, like what we saw with Bo Horvat, with the Islander or yeah, with the Islanders sent to Vancouver for him. A lot of fans before the trade were like, oh, we should we should look at Horvat. We should try to get him. And then once the trade happened, they're like, oh, yeah, we probably wouldn't have want to send that much to get, you know, to get him as good as he is. So it's really the, you know, balancing, you know, those those wants and needs, I guess. And the cost of that extension, eight by eight and a half, is just too mm-hmm. rich for my blood, especially for a guy. This is not to say that he hasn't been a really good NHLer, but for him to only have this year really be his breakout year, it worries me to see how that contract would age. Because there's another important contract that the Bruins have to lock up first, and that's David Posternock. Reports from Emily Kaplan and Elliot Friedman saying that the Bruins are really close on financial terms, but a little bit higher than what they were hoping to budget wise. I don't know whether that means 11 AAV. I don't know whether that means 13 AAV. He supposedly will be paid like one of the top stars in the league as he deservedly should be. But you'd love to get an extension in place for Pasternak before you make any big moves. Yeah, and I think that's definitely been the priority, at least from the management side, from anything they've revealed. I you know, I can't say I you know know extensively about what's going on. They've kind of keeping it close to the vest. It's also you know my first year there, so I'm not, you know, super in-depth of everything going on but um yeah i know i know that's definitely you know you don't have to be there long to know that that's priority number one for the organization it's just uh you know how bad how bad do they want it how much are they willing to pay um i think the market is pretty much speaks for itself and i think it kind of benefits Pasternak on his side to sort of wait it out as long as as he can because the price is only going to go up the closer it gets to free agency. So I don't know if he's necessarily in any rush unless they give him an offer that completely blows everything out of the water, which I don't know if the Bruins are planning to do. I mean, the, from what the reports say, the Bruins are more uh, more or less uncomfortable with how high they're going 
for what they budgeted. So maybe that means closer to 13. I don't think he's going to be the highest paid player in the league at what does McDavid make 15 right now. You don't want to end up in a situation like the Taze and Kane contracts. We are locked in for so long at such a high cap hit and it doesn't age well. Pasternak obviously only being 26. That contract, however it is, should age well considering how he's been performing the last couple of years. You almost wish it happened at the beginning of the season or during last offseason because he's done nothing but increase his price over the course of this season. Second in the NHL in goal scoring. He's really added to the cost of what this contract's going to be. Yeah, I mean, it's especially if I mean, if, if it is it for Bergeron and uh, Marchand's obviously getting up there in age, he's the he's one of the cornerstones of today and tomorrow. I mean, the who knows what the team's going to look like in the next couple of years, you know, once those older guys start to phase out and pass through. But if you're looking to extend, you know, the competitive you know streak, or I guess, of the, the amount of years that they've been in competition and contending for you know, a deep playoff run, he's, you know, the number one guy on the list to to keep around. You don't want to end up like your crosstown friends close to you at BU in the Boston Red Sox down at Fenway. Thought they had Mookie Betts, who was going to be a franchise cornerstone. Didn't want to throw out an offer that would keep him, so they traded him to the Dodgers. Xander Bogarts this offseason, they thought they would have kept him. The, from all we had heard, they were going to be really in on him, make sure that he was their number one priority. A ginormous contract from the San Diego Padres threw that out the window. They were very lucky. They were very smart to sign Rafael Devers. But the damage to ownership, to the general manager over there that that's done, you certainly don't want to see that happen on Causeway Street. Yeah, I mean, I think that's sort of the growing worry just based on, uh, and even the past few years, the you know their top guys have sort of been playing on discount deals i mean even bergeron and Krejci situation is a little bit different considering it's you know towards the end for them but they're playing on extremely low contracts and that's sort of part of the reason why they've been able to attain this much depth into this season so once that goes away i mean i think it may be a little bit different than what uh you know the team is used to but at the same time they shelled out a big deal for mcavoy they've got a long-term deal for lindholm which they got at the deadline so you know if they've shown that they can work it out for guys like this. And the fact that he's so young and the term of the deal would keep him, you know, likely into all of his productive years. And by the end of the contract, he'll still probably be a productive player depending on how long it is. I think uh, there's no, no reason for them to, you know, not pay what his worth is. But I mean, you know, th- there's going to be a lot of external pressure as well. I will say Don's reputation of trading and signing at the deadline the last couple of years, you just mentioned Lindholm, is really good. Going back a couple of years as well, the Charlie Coyle, that trade was really low cost, but brought in really good dividends, especially during that Stanley Cup run. He hasn't exactly been the same player, but he's still so productive on both ends of the ice. You can't not like that contract. They did bring in Marcus Johansson in 2019 as well. Um, As much as that didn't pan out, he was also helpful. Nick Ritchie and Andre Kasha maybe misses, but they were lucky enough not to assign big extensions to them. And of course, Lynn Holm, man, that was a huge one. And you can see this year with McAvoy and Marshawn out at the beginning of the season, how big the dividends were to make sure you had that guy under contract. Yeah, I mean, they kind of play similarly. There there was one game earlier this year, not too long. I'm blanking on which game it was, but... Uh, you saw just the playmaking ability where Lindholm sort of took it in himself, fired a shot, they scored, and then 
the next goal they scored, it was McAvoy's turn, and he somehow pulled off an even greater move. I'm I'm blanking on which specific game it was. But I can tell you it was against the San Jose Sharks, actually, against right, former yeah. BU coach David Quinn. That's right, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's all blending together. But those two plays stick out regardless of, of when it is. And it kind of just goes to show when you've got two, you know, defensemen that can make plays at both ends of the ice. I think Lynn Holmes uh, plus minus rating has been among the top of the league all season, if not the top. Uh, I haven't looked at it recently, but uh, he's on the ice. He's making plays. And when you got two guys that can do that from the back end, it just, I mean, you, you see the results themselves and how they pan out. Uh, speaking of two defensemen who can do it on both ends of the ice and speaking of Boston University, we're actually going to take a little break. And when we come back, there's some bean pot talk we have to go on. Mondays in February are always the best. I love seeing the bean pot. The finals are coming up. Uh, as this airs, it's going to be this evening, and we've got a really interesting final. So we'll see what the Bruins do at the trade deadline, but the bean pot's the first thing coming up, and we'll talk about it in about 30 seconds. Do you want to stay in the know on all things Boston Bruins as soon as they happen? For every goal scored, every trade made, every game won, we're right there. We're Stanley Cup of Chowder. Find us at Cup of Chowda on Twitter. You're listening to Unsupervised. Back, Back to your, to your host, host, Jake Rice. Welcome back in here on Unsupervised. I'm Jake Reiser alongside Joe Poharellis. It's Bean Pop Finals Monday. For the first time in the 70-year history of the Bean Pot, we have a Harvard Northeastern final. That sounds pretty rare. I'm not exactly surprised at Harvard going through. That game was fantastic. I am a little surprised that Northeastern went through over Boston University. Let's talk about that first semifinal first, BC against Harvard. What a thrill it was going back and forth. um, I believe it was Jan Hayduk's son who scored the overtime winner, or Milan Hayduk, pardon me, who scored the overtime winner for Harvard. Very fortunate, especially for a guy who saw two fantastic overtime wins as a freshman at BU back when they still had continuous five-on-five overtimes. I think fans would have rioted if we had a shootout in the first year could have happened in the Bean Pop. But what a fascinating first semifinal! Yeah, and uh, I mean, all four teams. I think I don't know historically when this has happened, but all four teams were in the top twenty-five uh, in the country. So normally, that maybe you know one of the three is sort of falling behind, and the rest are maybe sort of competitive. But the fact that all four were, you know, competitive. BC, you know, they're not as strong as they've been in past years, but they're building something. They've got a strong recruiting class coming in next year, so they're sort of coming up and able to compete and win games. Harvard's in the top 10. Northeastern has uh, made it to the tournament last year, so you know all, all four teams were able to win it, so I'm not, I'm not even super surprised at any of the matchup possibilities, uh, but maybe I should take down all this stuff just based <laughs> on, on what happened last week. It's interesting to look at coaches there and see, uh, aside from probably Ted Donato, who's been there for a long time at Harvard, some fresh blood. Um, Jerry Keefe at um, Northeastern, his second year there, taking over for Jim Madigan, who was there for such a long time, quite a bombastic personality. And then two guys at BU and BC who are disciples of two historic for the program coaches, Jerry York 
at BC was the historic coach that Greg Brown served under and Jack Parker, what an illustrious name. It's Jack Rink, uh, Jack Parker Rink at Aganis Arena for BU. Jay Pandolfo played under him. Just really interesting to see the kind of new culture change surrounding these Beanpot teams. Yeah, and it, it, it's paying off right away. I mean, BC was uh, just not a team that you would recognize when you think of Jerry York's BC teams. They, I don't know if they necessarily under-delivered, but they kind of, you know, haven't been up to their stuff the past few years. So to expect them to be amongst the top 10 team again would have been a little bit ambitious. And uh, what Greg Brown is doing, they started off a little bit slow, but they've got good players that they bring in in, their, in the Beanpot semifinal. I think they put up 48, 50, somewhere around 50 shots and, you know, doubled the output that Harvard did. Uh, but just couldn't get past uh, 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 Gibson, Mitchell Gibson in uh, in Harvard's net and fell short just at the last second of overtime. So that game could have gone either way after they were down 3-1. Um, and then at BU, they've always had the you know plethora of NHL draft pick talent, high-end talent, but haven't really gotten the results together. And under Pandolfo, they, they're finally starting to win the games they're supposed to and and show their stuff, even though they did they did fall short against uh, Northeastern uh, last week. We're going to talk about BU more in depth in a little bit, but the final is super interesting. A historic coach in Ted Donato, who's done such a good job with that Harvard program, a Northeastern club that has guys who can just really put put it in the back of the net, Gunnar Wolf Fontaine. Uh, how do you think this one's going to go? Well, I think and it really do, comes down to uh, – I think Northeastern, I know Harvard's the, you know, stronger offensive team, even BU coming in last week was, you know, top scoring team in the country, I think with 4.2 goals per game. But if they, aside from Devin Levi, Northeastern's goalie, who, you know, was the name, got the Richter award last year's top goalie in the country, arguably this season. Um, if he, he has the ability to steal games and control games and shut opposing offenses down, but also just the defensive core of Northeastern, we saw it last week, just the amount of times they got bodies in front, the amount of block shots they had. I think they might have had over 20 block shots last week. So Hunter McDonald's, one of the, their freshman defensemen, sort of one of the leaders there and how they you know just clamped down on teams. So if they can successfully do that, I have a hard time seeing anybody getting you know beating them, but they've been kind of up and down with that. They've let some games slip and Harvard is, you know, as good as they come offensively with some of the talent they have. So I think it'll come down to how the Harvard offensive unit can fare against Northeastern's swarming defense as it, as it gets that way. They kind of reminds me a little bit of the Bruins Capitals game yesterday that um, Dalton Levi is such a hot goaltender right now. I'm honestly a little surprised he came back. He had some NHL prospects, but good on him to continue his development at Northeastern. Um, if he can just remain the brick wall that he has been, it's hard to put things past him. And yeah, BU's got a fantastic offense if they average over four four goals a game, and they could only get what one past Levi, and it was in garbage time. That's mm-hmm. gonna that's gonna be hard to beat. I really feel like it's Northeasterns to lose if Harvard can put the pressure on Levi and get some goals behind him. I don't know whether Northeastern has all the firepower to get themselves back into a game. The first 10 minutes of this game are going to be crucial. Harvard got out pretty quickly against BC in that semifinal. If uh, Northeastern can keep Harvard out and start to control the game early, that's going to be huge for their success. 
Yeah, and I mean, it's also important to mention Aiden McDonough, their captain, one of the leading scorers in Hockey East and the country, uh, Justin Ritzkovian, uh, Gunnarol Fontaine, as you mentioned. So they've got guys to, you know, complement the defensive effort to score. So, you know, going in, I, you know, despite the different rankings, despite BU being the third team in the country, Harvard in the top 10, you know, the other two hovering around the top 20, maybe a bit outside, it's the beanpot and, you know, the rivalries are as intense as they've ever been and it, any team can win. So, you know, speculate all, all we want, but, you know, it really comes down to which team's ready for the moment on Monday or I guess tonight as we're talking about it. You know, speaking of being ready for the moment, for a team that's done so well this season, it was just a little surprising to see how BU came out of the gate against Northeastern, ranked number three in the country. You would have thought for a guy like Jay Pandolfo, who's won Beanpots, National Championships, Stanley Cups, he might have prepared them a little better for the bright lights of TD Garden. I'm just not sure what happened. Yeah, I uh, I was in the stands. I was, you know, as a fan for that game, so not, you know, in the media section, but... Uh, it was just uh, frustrating to watch, and they they lost a similar type of game to Northeastern earlier this season where uh, they had a decent amount of sustained offensive zone time. It kind of came and went in the bean pot, but uh, they were they had the puck. They just weren't shooting, and when they were trying to get shots out, a body came in front of it, and just, you know, Levi didn't see a lot and wasn't, you know, tested enough to really force anything through, so... Levi's done really well against BU in the past. I mean, I I don't know how many shutouts he's had, but he's plenty of one goal allowed performances, bunch of saves. He's been a brick wall every time against the Terriers. So I don't know. It it seemed like they were kind of just scared of him, to be honest. Just the, you know, trying to get through the defense and maybe not shooting when they were trying to find like the absolute perfect look because of how well uh, the Northeastern defense was performing. I think there was just a reluctance there from a lot of guys and, and a lot of pressure, as you mentioned, which, uh, you know, Pandolfo was the first year head coach, maybe just w- wasn't ready to set them up, but I, they've been playing so well all year. So might've just come down to the emotions in the moment, which, you know, you can't really prepare for. Again, it's kind of like Bruins and BU parallels. Two new head coaches for both clubs. Jay Pandolfo, who had been an assistant on Albie O'Connell's staff the last, I believe, two seasons, taking over the reins. What has he done to change that culture in the locker room? Because he's not exactly working with his own recruits per se, but he's taken the obviously incredible talent that BU has and has them playing like a cohesive unit and not just like a bunch of all-stars playing on one squad. Yeah, I mean, he, he was, I think, yeah, last year was his first year as the, you know, associate head coach. Now he's finally taken over the program. So I think in the past year, he sort of gained the trust of, you know, just the leadership groups that's there. A lot of the guys uh, had opportunities to start their pro careers, and they came back to, you know, try to citing unfinished business and wanting to accomplish more since they've underperformed in the last few years. And on top of that, I mean, even though they weren't his recruits, uh, the the crop of freshmen, there are probably five or six that have just completely taken the team to new heights. There's a all freshman third line, Jeremy Wilmer, Ryan Green, um, yeah, are on that one. I'm blanking on the on the other one, but Lane Hudson has been the highlight defensively. Uh, he's I think on pace or w- one of the top scoring freshman defenseman seasons uh, in all time of all time. So a really huge find there. Quinn Hudson, his brother, is the other one on that line. I just remembered, but uh. All those guys have been, you know, producing well and have been adding to that. When you've got enough freshmen to support, uh, you know, pretty 
wide upper class where a lot of seniors and juniors are producing on that team uh that's that's a recipe for success in you know any team sport in in the college level lane hudson's actually one of those guys i want to talk about a little more the montreal canadians draft pick 510 so not exactly the biggest frame but it's similar to what we see from matt grizzlick both as a terrier and as a bruin small frame incredible skating, great with the puck on his stick, knows how to get it to the net. He's just been so fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, it really, uh, I mean, looking at him and just seeing, you know, his play with the, you know, U.S. team, there were around NHL draft season, there were talks of him going in the first round. He kind of slipped. He wasn't even the first freshman on the Terriers drafted, which was a surprise to a lot of people. But he's shown that he was definitely, definitely should have been taken a lot earlier than he was. You mentioned his dick handling ability and the way he controls the puck. He was one of the only players last or last week in the semifinals that was generating any offense and, you know, sort of playing the way he is. His vision, the way he passes the puck is unlike any player that I've seen in the four years that I've been here. Uh, just, just a really special talent. I think he's got maybe four, four or five game winning goals. So he's just got the clutch factor too and taking it to the net himself when he needs to it's uh if, there, if there's any you know addition that's the reason for the success he's got to be the first one on that on that list another guy i look for as well as dom fensori the captain of this squad his stock came in to be high and he's just continued to rise his game even further he's been incredible on that blue line yeah I, and that's uh you know we were talking about just the leadership that the bruins have i mean fensori kind of mirrors that he's also smaller size you know maybe not like the you know when you look at him maybe not the most imposing but the the way he can skate the way he can you know fire off a shot just the way that he he has the respect to the guys and talking to him I've been I've been following the team you know on the media side as much this season but um just looking from afar and as a you know as a student going to games uh you can really tell that his his promotion to the captain role has made a huge difference as well. If there's also another player we can talk about, BU to me is known for another thing, and that's creating really good goaltenders. Yeah, Rick DiPietro didn't work out a long time ago as much as he should in the NHL. We're seeing it right now with Jake Ottinger, who has just taken such a firm hold of that starting goaltender position in Dallas. But Drew Camesso has really stood on his head. I watched that game at Orono against Maine. Wow, that's a goalie who will be NHL-ready soon. And I believe he's a Chicago Blackhawks draft pick. Mm -hmm. And that's a team who desperately needs a goalie who can stand on his head like he does. Yeah, and uh, if if you look at the numbers, they don't you know pop out like some of the other in the others in the conference. There are some games where he you know the other team does get the best of him, and you know sometimes the defense will leave him out to dry. That was at least the case earlier in his career. But I mean, you look at the you know the main game as you mentioned, the series against BC before the Bean Pot, um, just made a ton of saves. Has kept them in the game. He kept them in the game in the Bean Pot too. The two goals that that Northeastern scored, at least one of them was just you know nothing a goalie could do about it. So he's stepped up his game um, and shown that, you know, he is, you know, pro ready or will be eventually and uh, is a big reason for their success. And uh, Vinny Duplessis as well, the the backup goalie, he led them to the bean pot title last year when Camesso was uh, at the Olympics with the U.S. So uh, two guys that, and Vinny, when, when called upon, has shown that he can deliver. So the fact that they've got not just one, but two guys, you know, in net, uh, has been a huge asset for them as well. 
It's always important to have depth all the way around. Unfortunately, it's not going to result in a bean pot this year. Maybe we'll see a Hockey East title. Who knows? But as far as the bean pot goes, if you had to choose one team right now to win it one way or the other, who are you picking? I. Okay. Yeah. Like I said earlier, if I mean, if, if Northeastern is able to, you know, shut the offense down, I think it's going to be tough to beat them. I think just given the fact that they've, you know, Keith, it's his second year. He sort of knows the the full time around. They've had the consistency. I want to say this is their fifth final in a row that they've been to. Um, so I'm I'm gonna lean with them, but at the same time, they the two sides did square off earlier this season, and Harvard, you know, beat them pretty soundly. So yeah, I'm gonna stick to Northeastern. I think just based on what I've seen them, but uh, I'll, I'll go with, I'll go with that. But I think Harvard can't be discounted either. I'm going to pick the other side, actually, I think, with how balanced Harvard's offense looks. Yeah, Northeastern will get into a lot of uh, lanes and try and block shots, but Harvard, especially in that semifinal, made the most of whatever chances they had, whether they were wide-angle shots on power plays or just jamming it in down low. I think they're a team that will be able to capitalize. I think it's going to be a close game because Northeastern obviously has good firepower as well. It's going to be close for sure, but I think Harvard's going to be the one to pull this out. Yeah, I mean, it, it could definitely go either way. And uh, um, I, I personally hope, just as a, the fact that BU's not in there, I kind of hope it does go to a shootout just so um, <laughs> so it's kind of unsatisfying for everybody involved. But that's just the partiality in me for, for BU. The skills competition, man. Mm-hmm. I was so frustrated when they heard, when I heard that they were going to be putting that in instead of continuous overtimes. But maybe this year it'll be to our benefit. Just a little bit of shout and Freud will get some pleasure out of everybody else's pain there. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right, we're going to wrap it up here. Joe, tell everybody where they can find you and what you're up to as well. Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm at J-O-E underscore P-O-H-O. Um, I've been just doing editing work for WTBU, doing stuff for College Hockey News as well, some features there. NHL.com's writing recaps, uh, reporting from Morning Skates, uh, pretty basic stuff there. And, uh, yeah, also working on the high school sports stats at the Boston Globe, chipping in for some some coverage here and there. And, uh, yeah, just trying to trying to cover whatever I can, basically. Doing it at every level, high school, college, and the pros. Joe, thank you so much for coming on on Supervise. And thank you all for listening to another episode. We will be back next week with another great guest. And just remember, there's something always brewing. Have a great week, guys. We'll catch you next time. You've been listening to Unsupervised. If it's happening with the Boston Bruins, we're in the know, and we're talking about it giving you the inside scoop we hope you've enjoyed the show if you did make sure to like rate review and hey share it with some friends we'll be back soon but in the meantime hook up with jake on twitter at jake riser and find stanley cup of chowder at cup of chowder and of course engage with us and find out more at stanleycupofchowder.com See you next time on Unsupervised.